everybody, welcome back to Emma and Tom's PGC podcast. It is episode 12 and we're in interplacement week. Um, And that's kind of, for those of you who who don't know, that's the week that sits in between our two placements for our PGC students. So at the moment, I'm sure they're all working really hard at home, definitely not sat on sofas with cups of tea, uh, watching daytime television. Absolutely (laughs) not. They've got an assignment due today. (laughs) And we have another guest. This is, uh, this is another episode on The Bounce where we have a special guest. Yeah, which is good news because uh, do not adjust your sets. This is my voice today, I'm afraid. I am full of the lurgy. <laughs> it oh. really is Tom behind this microphone. True friendship, not to put the end of my microphone on a very long cable in the corridor with a post-it note saying this is close enough, I think. Thank <laughs> you for letting me into the room. We've got Fiona Diffie here today, who is the programme leader for PGC Secondary PE, who's here to talk to us about physical literacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Welcome along, Fee. Hi. How do you feel <laughs> being inside a podcast? This is my very first podcast and I'm, I'm quite excited. Oh, good. Well, we're excited to have you. I guess what I would like to ask you straight off the bat, and I'm sure there's probably not a, a fast and easy answer to this, but a definition of physical literacy? All oh, right. Well, the official definition from the International Physical Literacy Association would say that it's the motivation, confidence and the physical competence to understand, value and take part in physical activity for life. That's not word perfect, but it's this idea that if we take a combination of things such as the physical competence of a skill set, the motivation to want to use it, the confidence to want to use it, Mm -hmm. the knowledge and understanding of of when and how, Mm -hmm. then you develop a value towards that and this is then linked to being physically active in this context and that will then mean that you will take or make good decisions linked to your own physical well-being as you go through your life and those decisions will be different depending on the stage of your life you're in and who is possibly helping you make some of those decisions as as younger children will often have people influencing those decisions such as parents teachers friends things like that and then the idea is that if uh, enough positive experiences are are presented and, and the, the, from a child's point of view, they have access to a range of physical environments and develop different skill sets and find a t- an internal love for being active, mm-hmm. that they will then choose for the internalised reasons mm-hmm. to be active later in life. So it's this sort of embodied idea of being the physical self. So I'm I'm getting a sense from this, and thank you for that really comprehensive overview. I think that's really helpful to, to understand what's feeding into this. I'm getting a sense that this is quite new, relatively new. I mean, relatively, the term has been sort of around in different literature for, for decades, but it was, it was under the work of um, Professor Margaret Whitehead that it really, I think, came to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And it was a term that through a number of publications and a number of sort of initial pieces of work conducted by Margaret that the the term came to I think mean and understand where in in the understanding we're in today with it but I think actually when you when you really sort of drill down to what you're looking at the embodied self from a philosophical point of view is something people have been talking about for hundreds and hundreds of years in different cultures, in different understandings. Mm. And it is just, I think, this idea in the context of where we are today is is going back to 
um, or maybe revisiting that conversation about why it is so important to see the body as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think as a, this idea that this sort of the, you have two sort of lines of philosophy where you say there are people who see pe- humans as dualists and as monists. And dualist means you, you would separate the mind and the body and you treat them separately. Mm-hmm. Whereas a monist sees the person as a whole or sees the concept as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it is the idea that we, I think we for years have broken, particularly maybe an educational concept, the, the parts down and we treat each part separately. Yes. But we don't then put it back together and look at the whole. Okay. Uh, and this is the concept. This is what this, uh, this concept sort of argues for mm-hmm. in context of being physically active. Okay. With this, and, and, and then they have the term um, physically literate. So now I'm obviously I know that this is your your focus for your PhD. And I'm sensing that this is born out of not only you being a programme leader within a university teaching ITE students, but it maybe dates back to or the, the kind of the seeds of it were starting to emerge when you were a practitioner, a classroom practitioner yourself. Oh, absolutely. I think. I always go back to a year seven hockey lesson as an NQT and I had year sevens back to back and I I taught up in in Monmouth, in Monmouth Comprehensive initially. And I remember being out on this hockey pitch and it was cold and it was freezing and I was doing hockey and I'm thinking, why am I doing this? What's the, apart from teaching them hockey, what, what is this? And it really started me questioning what the bigger role of being a physical education teacher was and actually what did I value and what, what was I actually trying to get out of this process? Mm. And it, it really sort of made me question that I'm not trying to create hockey players and netball players and basketball players. I actually want children to be physically active and enjoy being active and have experiences that they enjoy. And, and I think there are some real pressures and tensions in, in that context to the way PE has been taught and, mm. and the sort of the intention of PE from mm-hmm. a, a departmental point of view. And it varies massively across the spectrum. But for me at that point in time, and don't worry, the department were very free thinking. We weren't, we weren't driven all by teams and things like that. So it wasn't, I was in that experience. Mm. There mm. was a, a real sort of recreational sort of provide opportunity for everyone as well as your club's attitude at the school, mm. which I absolutely bought into and I was very thankful for. But actually for me as a practitioner, it really made me question how I'm delivering and why and what that messaging behind that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that got me reading and I was interested at the time in doing my master's and I didn't, although my master's wasn't in physical literacy or that concept, it was where I thought I first had that introduction to it. And and it's just simply grown through opportunities since I've come to work here and then connections into now the International Physical Literacy Association, which I work for in a non-paid context, but I, I work for them and I, I do a lot of work with regards to the edu- education and training side of the association that's really useful to hear that journey actually particularly for those um, student teachers out there who are are thinking about research and maybe engaging in research as part of their assignments for their programs and any teachers who are out there who perhaps haven't haven't necessarily dabbled in research for a while they've been a classroom practitioner you know doing really well in their own right but maybe are thinking they've got a hunch about something that research might help them to develop it might blossom into something new so it's really good to hear that actually the starting points of your kind of academic journey started in the classroom absolutely yeah absolutely so I guess what I would like to drill into a little bit more deeply is something you mentioned about the tensions between you know this body of literature and and the research that's out there about physical literacy 
and the existing or previous iterations of the PE curriculum and what those tensions are and what you see the future to be Mm. with this new kind of physical literacy focus. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, I mean, traditionally, we all have our memories of PE and I think most people will have this idea that it was brilliant because I was really sporty and this idea of sporty connects to PE and that you had all these teams and it was wonderful and I had a really positive experience. And then you get the other side of the conversation where, and I'm not saying classifying the non-sporty people, but maybe people that didn't involve themselves in team games, but maybe were active in different ways, but then didn't have an experience in their PE that they could connect to. Yeah, and I, can I think relate to that. Can you relate sort to that, of- <laughs> Yeah, I can actually. I mean, I, I attended a presentation of yours, actually, Fiona, a little while back, and... One of the things that I've discovered since becoming a, a, an ITE lecturer is that music and PE as subjects have got a lot more in common than perhaps would seem to be the case on the surface. Not least the kind of potential to traumatise young people and put them off the subject area for the rest of their lives. And I know that those subjects that people say I'm no good at are music, PE, maths mostly, um, often art as well. But the ones where they've actually had humiliation in front of their peers is usually music, maybe drama, and definitely PE. And that elite culture as well. I mean, we've definitely had it in the subject of music, this idea that if you, you know, literally some departments used to not let people on GCSE music unless they had grade four in an instrument. And similarly, you know, you were you were dead to a lot of PE departments if you didn't play football or rugby, amazingly. I know I was I was a half-decent sports person at a couple of things, but they were the wrong things for my PE department, and therefore they didn't want to know. And to be honest, it's, it's negatively impacted my kind of feeling about sport. Mm, massively. And I think there's so many things in that sentence I could pick up on. I think definitely this idea that... PE sometimes was seen in traditionally in the team's context and that is decades of teaching that is the Victorian idea that we do rugby football hockey netball in one term and then we do cricket rounders and tennis and athletics in the other term and 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 then you look at the spread of what else is going on 80% of that is games based teaching mm. and, yeah, and I wasn't a team player to be honest yeah, and, I was an individual I was a lone well, no, <laughs> and we, you might find then that there were some gymnastics or some darts or maybe as the decades have moved on some sort of badminton or mm. maybe a little bit of trampolining and things like that but it's they're still very team get orientated and don't be wrong I think there's a place for competition and, and and teaching the values of resilience and teamwork and all the the wonderful things that can be a part of those teaching moments sure. but it's how you deliver it that is is the key and it's not necessarily about learning the sport for the sport's sake and I think that is where sometimes this tension is is shifting oh that's interesting so that's quite liberating I, I think because so you're kind of saying that even if the curriculum doesn't on paper lend itself to this new physical literacy philosophy the teacher could create educational opportunities where the principles of physical literacy are baked in are are present well yeah I mean even under the I mean I know we're moving into this new new sphere of education even under the current system we've had since 2008 there is nowhere in the PE curriculum for any of the key stages does it name a sport or activity 
it is all principles. They are governed under titles of competitive activities, creative activities, health and well-being and adventurous activities. So the idea is that they should be experiencing a range of these things. Mm. But because there was also no guidance to say you have to do this, this and this apart from an experience, teachers could still do a traditional model and, and, and sit within that curriculum. Mm. Some schools over that these last sort of 20 years have gone off in multitudes of directions and, and you see a wide and varied opportunity presented as part of the curriculum time. And I guess I think what you probably have to clarify is that you can't teach physical literacy. It is a concept. Mm. It is something that is embedded in your practice mm. and that if you teach high quality physical education, you produce an opportunity that might enhance the journey of the child mm. and that is the physical literacy journey that they are on mm. because this is only one moment in time. So it's not, again, a tick box where you say, right, you are physically literate or you can do this or you can do that. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly there are skill sets within the physical competency thing that you'd want to develop, a, a child's coordination, their ability to throw and catch and run with comfort and confidence mm. because if a child can't catch a ball with confidence even in a recreational environment, they're not probably going to put themselves into that environment. Mm. So then that eliminates a whole range of opportunities, whether they want to be team sports sort of competitive or not. So it is about still teaching those skills in in the appropriate way, but it is about the how it's delivered. And then you get into that pedagogy. And then really what this links is a whole body of literature, because you could look at motivational climate theory, where it talks about creating a mastery climate where it's not comparative to an individual. Mm. You've got all the literature on confidence and the, the psychology behind the confidence then you've got the all the literature that looks at actually how we teach fundamental skills and and what they are and where stage and age appropriate they should be delivered and and the, the context behind that so actually what this concept does which i think is what's caught the imagination of of a lot of different sporting sort of physical activity health agendas and pe agendas mm-hmm. is it connects a lot of thinking together under this concept of sort of human flourishing that we we have the right to flourish as a human we are physical beings first and foremost before we acquire language a child makes sense a baby makes sense of the world through movement and touch Mm. and it is that they are embodied in that moment they are in that moment without preconceived ideas they're exploring Mm. and we then teach our children to be less and less and less in that way Mm. and construct them into this is how you must be physical Uh, and that's wrong and I think this is this idea that this journey that we're on is impacted upon by everybody at some at some point in time but actually interestingly in the context of the new national curriculum that's being written under health and well-being the concept of physical literacy has very much been embedded into the writing of the statements that are coming out Mm. and although it's not named specifically the building of confidence and motivation and the right skills and the understanding of how we are active and all the bits that need to come together linked to resilience linked to my understanding of myself the relationships I have and how I interact with people in a range of physical environments Mm. is all underpinned by this concept so so there is an argument to say while it's not named it's there if Mm. you didn't know it existed you wouldn't know that you're actually contributing to that journey. So I think there's some work to be done in context of that conversation. But most importantly, for me, it's the how is delivered. And I'm interested in that because I, I'm thinking about our, our non-P specialist listeners out there. And you mentioned that we're, we're in this moment of time, we've got this new curriculum that is about to be published. 
and it's a purpose-driven curriculum and one of the four core purposes is about being healthy and confident Mm. and I wonder if the concept of physical literacy how widely known do you think it is amongst non-PE specialists should they know about it and within this new dawn in Wales of you know all teachers being teachers of healthy confident individuals do we have a part to play oh yes we have a part to play yes it needs a lot more work which is is sort of starting to bubble away but they definitely don't understand it and I think the concept is scary and I think we're very guilty in the educational profession of throwing here's another concept here's another idea here's another terminology here's another acronym and it just builds up and builds up and builds up and when you're then in that busy classroom sort of at the coal face that you're just oh it's just another concept it's just another word it's just another buzzword and I think we need to be very careful because I think because for me this concept underpins everything Mm. I I would actually may get into trouble in saying this on some level but I would argue there's possibly a case while the term is important we want to use the term what it says underneath is critical and I think in the understanding of that, if I'm working with practitioners or parents or, or, or young ambassadors or children that are then in coaching environments, if we're understanding that we're building in our practice an environment that will foster confidence, an environment that will foster motivation to be active in the right way, mm-hmm. and what I'm delivering is appropriate for the age and stage of development of that child then I am contributing positively and that is then contributing to this physical journey. The concept is physical literacy and that's what the, the, the underpinning of it is. But it's that bigger conversation. And I think when on the work I have had the opportunity to go into, whether it's working with primary practitioners or non-specialist practitioners in particular, when you start having the conversation about that child, that physical child, what are the parts of the physical child where there's the emotional affective side, there's the physical side, there's the cognitive thinking side, mm-hmm. that's language we're all really comfortable with. Yep. In a classroom, that makes sense to us. We, we would understand that. What we don't do is apply that into a PE space because they see the PE space as being something different very dualist and very much about doing the activity mm. and all that good pedagogical practice where things might be differentiated supported by success criteria may be revisited in different ways because the concept hasn't been understood doesn't happen because there's an element of lack of subject knowledge an element of lack of confidence and actually they probably default to their own experiences and their own memories are incredibly powerful mm. and if they hadn't had a positive experience to draw from that makes that that situation very hard to navigate. But as soon as you provide them with those conversations and those space, actually the practice changes massively in a very short period of time. I think the light bulb moment for anyone still struggling with what the concept is, is that bit you said right at the start when you had that moment as an NQT when you realised, I'm not trying to create amazing professional standard hockey players or football players. I think we can all kind of relate to that, you know, in the music world we often come in as fairly decent kind of almost professional standard practitioners ourselves and it's kind of instinctive just to try and go and do that and I suppose once we realize that we're not trying to send kids off to music college and if it happens it's great and it's a wonderful bonus and I guess you know the same for drama teachers and not trying to create professional actors first and foremost and if they do it's a bonus we're trying to instill a lifelong love of the much wider kind of subject area in as many children as possible and you don't have to go far in the world before you find someone who will turn around to you and say oh I can't sing 
I'm tone deaf. And when you kind of dig a little deeper, there's always a traumatic school experience at the bottom of it. And speaking of which, you mentioned um, pedagogies associated with physical literacy and you mentioned a transition in practice and pedagogy when somebody has understood, engaged with the concepts behind physical literacy. What would a lesson that has been underpinned by that concept look like hypothetically? Oh God, that's a million dollar question. I could be very Key rich features. if I could answer that. Um, <laughs> I think I think there's a multitude of ways it could look. Yes. I think as it, it would have to be underpinned by a clear sort of understanding of what's being asked of the pupils. Mm-hmm. But again, it's that sort of differentiated opportunity to know that different pupils will need different things. Mm. So you'd want some sort of activity where... It's not let's all stand in a line and kick a ball and let's all do exactly the same thing mm. or how many can we do in at this period of time. It's an individual challenge or or groups appropriate to that skill level. It could be in, in a more directed teaching way. It could be in a... We have um, a lot of theories of practice such as teaching games for understanding concept, which it, it, it implies the game quicker and you mm. teach through the game mm. rather than this traditional idea of having a warm-up, a, a skill that we practice, and then a little bit of a game at the end to apply it. Mm. It's this idea that actually in a games context for any of the activities you're working in, we spend most of our time in a game, which is a very open environment. Mm. So actually we want to try and teach through that environment and still differentiated and skill with some skill-based practice, mm. but it's driven by the pupil's understanding of that. That there are other models such as the sign top sport ed model, where again you put them into teams early on and you get them to feel that team idea. So they foster that as much mm. as the teaching of the skill. But then even your sort of your different approaches such as a problem-based learning approach, where again you you present a problem for the children to solve. I saw a lovely example um, a few years ago from a colleague's in Cardiff High. It was a lovely conversation I'd had with the mentor. I didn't see the lesson itself, but she was telling me of, of this practice she was looking at and that year nine were not engaging in, in health and well-being very well. And so she set them the challenge of by the end of that term, they had to be able to run. I think she said something like 3K, 5K or possibly eight. I could be wrong there, but there was a, there was a selection of distances. Mm. They decided how far they wanted to target and then the weeks were their training leading up to being able to hit that distance. Mm. They decided what their training needs looked like. She supported them with different ideas. The lessons allowed them to then go and practice that. And that looked different for different children. Mm. And with the overall goal of them trying to, to run that distance. Now, if she turned around and said, right, we're all running... 800 meters today or we're running in we're going to go and do a 3k yeah you would have lost the class completely mm. but it was that sense of the environment it created the ownership the individualization facilitated by the teacher and you had a class of children who were all engaged in in their own physical journey there which is very much akin to what we can see around us in terms of physical literacy going on in you know the social media world and people choosing to do a bit of physical activity in their living room using a YouTube video, mm. designing their own couch to 5K, choosing yes. which you know target they're going to go for and yeah. being self-motivated to go for the next goal. Mm. Is that, and, and, and this feeds, feeds into my next question actually. In an ideal world, what, what, would, what would kind of pupils of the future, so the adults of the, the generations of the future look like if they've had this kind of physical literacy experience curriculum you know how might their adult lives look 
I would I would hope to say they'd be healthier that maybe relative and again this concept is relative to an individual's disposition it's not comparative so it's only about you maximizing your potential with your body it's, yes. it's not about although competition drives a lot of people and that might be internalized competition or external um, we would argue for the concept to be fully realized it's an embodied internal value to be active so if that's for me to choose to walk into work rather than driving the car if that's me doing my motivated to do my couch to 5k or to go and join a recreational team or to stay playing competitive sports as long as my body allows me but when at that point I have to stop I choose to be active in a different way and I find something else engages me because it's not the activity it's this idea of the internalized value of just being active and, and, and what it gives me mm. uh, and that sort of inner inner connection um, another example a really really nice example uh, um, a colleague of mine said I heard her talk about at a conference she said someone's swimming in open water they don't swim to get to the other side of the lake they swim for the experience of swimming in an open environment of water mm-hmm. how far they go is irrelevant so it's that idea of swimming to swim to enjoy the moment and being embodied in the moment mm-hmm. not to swim to get to the other side of the lake and it's that that idea of striving for that mm-hmm. but that would then look different for the individual for whatever connects and motivates and and in, in sort of inspires them but i i guess if if those things are all in place then you might find people who are, are healthier, potentially, I guess, in theory, would then be living longer or not have, have as many other issues, mm-hmm. physical or mental, emotional. There's a huge body of research that talks about the impact of being active on, on mental health yes. and the prescription of, of just being active and the impact of that. And so it connects into us in a far bigger concept than just P and sport, and they're vitally important, but as you've alluded to, Tom, in any subject, one really poor, bad experience can turn people in the wrong direction very quickly, and it may take years. And maybe those couch to 5K people, if you started looking at their life stories, yes, and that's part of the literature and physical literature is that you, we, we map and we look at that journey and look at the things that have affected us. And, and actually, when you start unpicking that... And you can understand where you've come from and the impact of those things that presents a certain empowerment to then maybe look at things differently. But that's behavioural change. And mm. that that is a huge thing that takes a lot of time and a lot of thought and, and decisions to do something differently. Uh, and maybe that motivation is a health motivation or the fact that they want to be more active for their kids. And that's the turning point at, at that point or whatever motivates and triggers that point is is important and then that is that person's journey we would just maybe like to see more positive experiences happening earlier that might then encourage a nation of people that are are more active but of course this is bigger than education this is parental influence um sure what the coaching influence um being on the sideline actually this idea of free play and free activity versus constructed the the child that has all the clubs presented to them but is driven everywhere to go to this club to this club to this club actually how many what what are those experiences are they positive Mm. how many hours are they actually active Mm. versus the child that is out there playing recreationally they might actually have a bigger more embodied health benefit 
But then obviously the skill set, the clubs, I mean... The, and if the message they're getting from the, the world of the elite is, well, that doesn't qualify as as physical activity or that doesn't qualify as mm. valid activity, mm. then, you know, your free swimmer in the ocean might lose heart. Your, your child playing and getting loads of, you know, really good benefit, health benefits from that might be put off. Mm. There is and that just tension. not see themselves as being physically active. Yes. But it's that perception of you don't have to be sporty to be physically active. And being sporty is not the defining moment of. It's a very important part of for many people, myself included. I was a games player. Mm -hmm. I've done a huge amount of things and had incredible opportunities Mm. through those positive experiences I had. Mm. But I, I have friends who are in the same classes as me who have very different memories of those lessons so it's the perception of what you take from those moments. So yeah, it's, but I think this idea of sporty doesn't define being physically active. Mm. Physical activity is, is something that's bigger. Being Sport is one opportunity within the concept of physical activity. And for some people, that's what that what, what motivates them. But it, it's not the, in, the entire thing. So I guess this is a really exciting time to be involved in a part of physical education because potentially we're going from, if I might be a bit, controversial about it we're going from catering for a kind of small clique of rugby boys and football boys and you know all of that kind of thing through to potentially having a huge impact economically socially and in terms of well-being how are all your super elite sports teacher trainees finding this kind of philosophical journey do you know what? I think this is a journey we've been on for some time and there is a huge amount. I don't want to do disservice to the, the, the schools we work within, particularly in the South Wales area. There is a huge amount of very good practice out there and there has been for decades in challenging that. Don't be wrong, there is also some very traditional practice still that, that may need some, some, some further sort of thoughts. Yes. Um, but I think what we're seeing is this, this bigger sort of underpinning of the concept is something at an undergraduate level that's been talked about more and more and more. And actually what we've been seeing in the last maybe four or five years particularly are the the students that are coming onto the programme are already in that space and already more holistic in their understanding of the outcome of what they're trying to achieve. Mm. And they are that's already changing. So actually when you bring them through into that PGCE, Yes, don't be wrong, there's a huge amount of research that says the the experience you have up until the start of the PGCE are what you default to, because as soon as you're put into an environment of chaos and you're trying to learn how to teach... You go back to what you, you go, know. Exactly. You go back to that sort of, ped- we call it pedagogy of necessity. Yes. You go back into that moment, don't you? Yes. So that is a massive battle, but you have those conversations constantly with the students and say, well, what is our outcome? What do we want to try and do? Did that lesson cater for all of them did they all engage there were they having a positive experience Mm. are you creating the relationships albeit in a very small moment from a pgc point of view with your pupils now yes you once you're in your own teaching practice those relationships will grow and grow and grow because you will then be with those children five six seven years potentially up all the way through sixth form Mm. so your impact will be greater then but the fundamental starting point of anything and this is the message we give our, our p students on day one is teaching is about the relationship you are a teacher of the child with a specialism in PE. You are not a PE teacher. <laughs> you are teaching the child. So that is it. That is at the starting point, and then you construct what a high quality lesson looks like around that. 
Uh, and as much as possible, although we don't use the word physical literacy all the time, we'll be using the language and, and looking at what does that mean and, and actually what does that look like in a context of a child development point of view. How do we construct that volleyball lesson or that basketball lesson or that dance lesson? Content driven, obviously, because they need to learn the content as well from some point of view, but actually underpinned by what's the pedagogy we're doing here that will really challenge that. And then when they go into the schools, what do they see? Mm. You're going to see practice you you engage with. You're going to see practice that might challenge your thought. You might see practice where you go, actually, it's not in line with where I think I want to go. I can see the value in it and that the experience of that practitioner and I can take stuff from that, but I want them to form their own identity of who they want to be as a teacher. And we don't want mini Sally's, mini Fiona's, mini whoever you are. You need to work out what it is that gauges you because your personality and the way you are is the starting point of the type of teacher you want to be. But that might then involve them challenging their preconceived ideas which is a really nice throwback actually to our previous episode about how to apply and get onto a PGCE so I I wondered if we could maybe end because I think there's a lot of really good food for thought there um, for current IT students current teachers but for those who are maybe thinking about applying perhaps for a PGCE in PE Mm. and they they're quite interested in what you've had to say about physical literacy but maybe have no undergraduate experience of it I'm going to put you on the spot a little Mm. bit any kind of key researchers or key literature or key avenues that you would say go to those and you're and you're going to get a good starting point about what this is all about I mean Obviously, the International Association would be a good good place to go. So the International Physical Literacy Association, the IL, I can't say the acronym, <laughs> IPLA. Too many acronyms. Too many acronyms, IPLA. But outside of that, I mean, anything published by Professor Margaret Whitehead is absolutely the, the driving force. She has one book out, a second is coming out this year. A lot of sort of, she writes in a lot of practitioner magazines and sort of our AFP which is the association for PE journals and she you, you would you would just need to type her name into any search and you would pick up a, a lot of information she does write it quite academically a lot of the time so sometimes to unpick that can be challenging mm. but there are some wonderful work coming out of Australia Dean Dudley has done a lot of work in that context and practitioners in, in context of the university here um, Dr Anna Bryant Dr Kevin Morgan Dr Dave Aldous and Dr Larry Edwards are all publishing quite regularly in this space as well and actually interestingly are all involved currently with the health and well-being area of learning work that is going on new um, curriculum design the new curriculum design and that concept but uh I, I think any of those sort of spaces are are worth looking at if they're interested in in the concept there is a lot out there that isn't accurate to the concept there, there as there is with any yeah. work it, it is in taken and gone in different directions sure and i would just I say, I guess, as a finishing point for anybody who is looking at the concept, if they're reading it and it doesn't look at all of those domains, the the cognitive, the affective and the physical, and they're only focusing on one part, that wouldn't be, in my opinion, physical literacy. It's part of, but they need the the whole thing in place for it to be true to the concept. Wonderful. Thank you, Fiona. Now, uh, you've probably worked this out, what's coming next. The uh, guest always gets to do the little slots at the end. And this first one should be right up your street, actually. Um, We're going to ask you, what do you do in terms of ensuring your own well-being? Oh, I... It's hard. I've recently (laughs) become a mother. That is an additional challenge in my life. Thank you. Congratulations. Um, And 
for me, it is just finding moments to go out. It's not exercising and competing in the same way as I used to, but it is just going outside, going out into the outdoor environment. I live quite rurally, so I'm quite lucky in that respect, but just going for a walk with the dog or just going outside to play in the garden, it is, it's finding those moments in a very busy working life. Mm. And, I, and I know that's where I am right now. That's my space. In a few years' time, maybe on my journey, I might pick up competitive sport again in a, in a more recreational way. But it's about knowing, actually, for me, to just be outside and and be immersed in the environment mm. is, is a way that helps me from a, a well-being point of view. Mm. And very often it's a walk because <laughs> I don't have much time for anything more. But that that is enough. That is in, in, enough for me and my my value mm. um, to, to know that that will get me what I need. Well, it's funny you should say that because we had a very similar tip from Sean Watkins a couple of episodes ago and she just kind of worked it out really that it did her good but of course you're coming at this with with some proper research backing for what you've just said just getting out there and being physical and being active is really good for you. Yeah really I, I really like that and, and what I like about it as well is that I, I mentioned earlier on about the kind of social media which can be quite a pressurised space and environment to inhabit when you're thinking about starting some kind of physical activity. And it's just quite liberating to hear you say, you know, whatever's right for you in that moment that gets mm. you active and that is based, rooted in your values at that point is okay. It has to fit into your life. Yes. It can't be a challenge. It can't be an additional strain. And it can't be done because you think you have to do it. Yes. I think this is where we often run into problems where people go, I have to lose weight. I have to go to the gym. I have to. And then it becomes a chore. And then I think, while you might get some health benefit from it, you're missing the point of this embodied moment to be active and healthy. Mm. And, And that's, I think, what you have to maybe guard against and and try and find those moments in the space that you are living at that time. And I guess it's not compulsory that your physical activity looks good in a filtered photo on social media. Absolutely (laughs) not. No, stay away from those those images. They don't do anyone any good. No. (laughs) A slippery slope. Okay, uh, have you got somebody you would like to shout out to who's doing something amazing? Do you know what? I I do. And I had a long think about this and there was loads of people I was popping into my head and I thought, you know what? I'm actually going to shout out to my mentors because I think, and on two levels here, I inherited a, a long-standing PE physical education program. I'm very lucky to, to be in the position I am in now and working alongside Sally Bethel, who has been in that role as well. And and Sally was my PGC mentor many years ago as the program, as a member of the program. And I think a strength to our course is the relationship we have with our mentors. Uh, and a number of them are past students of ours. And, and I think that the decades of that process has, has made an incredibly strong, very important network from which we, we sit and we immerse ourselves in. Um, so a, just a general shout out initially to any of the PE mentors who have had students in the past who don't have, because we, we have loads of schools who want students and we, we don't have enough students to give everyone. And it's always a, a big decision for Sally and I on how to how to put that jigsaw together every, every placement. Sure. But this year in particular, I was looking, I did a quick count before I came up and of the SE2 mentors were about to go in, we've got 38 students... 19 of them are former 
students of Sally or mine that I could go back. Some of them predate Sally and mine, but 19 in particular are ours. But actually, we've got six new mentors this year who rule on programmes with us in the last five or six years. Wow. And it's really nice in particular to now be working with mentors who were students of ours. And want to give and, something back. And, yeah, and to see that process coming through as well. Sure. So I think just it's a really, really nice moment to be able to, I think, acknowledge the, the, the experience and the the appreciation we have for our for our PE mentors. I think we can all agree about the amazingness of our mentors. I mean, I saw some of the PGC students yesterday. They've just come off their first school placement. And I would say the overriding emotion was they were all really sad to go, yes. which I think is the best thing you can say about the mentors. <laughs> My students are saying, please don't move me. I want to stay where I am. Yes. We're at our least popular at this point in the course where we whip them away from one of the lovely mentors and put them into a new one. And of course, they'll have a great time, but they, they don't like leaving. No. No, indeed. <laughs> okay, so our final slot, as you know, is is our our takeaway slot. Have you got something that our listeners could try? I, I do you know what I struggled on this one a little bit because I I wanted to just say try to be more active, and it sounded very flippant, just not enough. But just try going for a walk. Try finding some space just for yourself. Mm. And, and not because you have to, but because you want to. Maybe try walking up the stairs in the shopping centre, not taking the lift. Try walking to the shops. Just change a few little habits mm. and just see how that makes you feel. It doesn't have to be massive changes, just small little moments. To, mm. to, and do it because you want to, not because you feel you have to. And modelling that to the pupils, whether you are from PE, music, drama or something else, has got to be worth doing, hasn't it? I think so. Lovely. Thank you very much, Fee. It's been an absolute pleasure and a really kind of interesting um, foray into physical literacy and all of your research. And congratulations. It's clear that you've done a lot of hard work already. How, how long to the end? <laughs> <laughs> that is all I need to know. Right, let's say two years. I'm data an- analysing right now. So Ooh. it's a tough space. So data analysing right up. I think two two years will will be possibly realistic. Oh, Emma and I have just started that journey, so we have what is it about eight to go? Let's yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> I've, I've been in it five years, so okay. four years maybe. I've, I've lost track now, so we'll say maybe a couple of years, hopefully. But well, very counting? best of luck. Watch this space. <laughs> Well, thanks everyone, and we will look forward to being back with you next time. In the meantime, uh, get out there and be active, is what Fee says. So we'll see you soon. Bye bye. Bye. That was Emma and Tom's PGC podcast, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Today's special guest was me, Fiona Diffie. Another heartfelt thank you to all of our wonderful mentors for all the work they do with our students, and good luck to our PGC students who are about to start placement too. We're all off outside for some decidedly non-Instagram friendly activity. Why don't you put our podcast on and do the same? Until next time, take care and enjoy teaching. Mm